Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast, recording here on this beautiful Wednesday morning with Tracy Pearson. Tracy, we have some breaking news. We do, Dave. Thank you for that, for that introduction. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, well, first, the breaking news. Uh, yeah. We have been pronouncing uh, Abramo Zanka incorrectly. And, most importantly, Abramo Zanka is uh, is now committed to UCLA and uh, and uh, officially cleared through the NCAA to uh, join the team this year. Yeah, there you go, uh, bro. We broke that. We broke that news. There you go. Um, and we've been right on top of it the whole time. Uh, there were times when we knew about it, didn't necessarily also report it, just to try to protect UCLA's recruitment of an uh, international player. The way it works, they sign granted aids as soon as it's out there. I mean, it's just like vultures. As soon as any kind of news gets out there that UCLA is recruiting this international player, that means there are going to be dozens of other programs just checking in. Uh, and even right now, until he, uh, Zonka's enrolled and in class, any other program could still recruit him. So let's go stealth on this, Dave. Let's, <laughs> let's yeah, I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is the dreaded grant and aid situation, which means, yeah. you know, it's still fair game. Like, but but what I've heard, uh, I, so Zonka has had um, some hardship in his life, uh, from what I've heard. Uh, he then went through a couple of different leagues. Italian, he, he was in an Italian basketball academy, Italian uh, league, a Lithuanian league. Uh, he then signed and played for a Russian team in a the Russian the Super League One. Um, and uh, you can imagine how complicated it might be for an international player to get all of his paperwork uh, in order to meet NCAA requirements and his academics to meet NCAA and UCLA's requirements. So it's been a it's been a process, from what I've heard. Uh, I could say that maybe there could be easier teams and easier leagues to get. Uh, the documentation than possibly a, a Russian league. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but from what I've heard, Zonka is amazingly uh, appreciative and grateful towards UCLA for everything they've done in helping him toward that goal. Uh, from what I've heard, he's, he should be enrolled. Now, don't forget, you can, you can enroll and be on class on Zoom, too. So I don't know... Dave, you know all this stuff because you're a more recent student. When is a summer session starting right now? It's got to right. be like well, in August, right? I think. Okay, like so uh, Tracy, I, yeah. I don't know that I need to necessarily clue you in on my academic career again, uh, <laughs> but asking me when class may begin? No, 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 no. no. I have I have some vague idea of when finals were. You know, and the date on which I need to drop classes, but the day when they begin, no, no idea. You know what's kind of funny? I, I still in my mind, you know how you all have your own image of yourself and then you look in the mirror as you get older and you go, oh, what the heck? Who is that? I still have the image of who you are <laughs> from college. When I see you now, I go, wow, that's not the Dave I know because I think of you mm -hmm. from your from your college days yep. back in those fun times. It was fun times. Uh, let's see. Summer session. There's a session C6. 
Oh, things have changed. I remember there wow, there I were there two sessions. Eight. Like it yeah. was divided in two. I know they all say C sesh, but there's there's two of them. Uh, one just she started. She sells C sesh by the by the yeah. seashore. Wow. Yeah. I love it when you taught me for dad jokes. Yeah. Um, August 1st. So if he's enrolled, he could be on Zoom then. If he's in class on Zoom, I think that counts. And he's a Bruin. So there you go. Um, a really good, before we get to breaking down his game and what he means to the team, I, I mean, a real huge uh, indication of uh, that UCLA will now be able to get out into uh the international market and recruit international players. We've always thought UCLA should be a destination for international players, and it never really has been with the addition of Ivo Simovic, the assistant, new assistant coach. You know, hasn't doesn't feel like he's been on the staff for a while. He was hired in June. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, he was very present during the eval periods. Um, I mean, he also had to take, like, an insanely long journey to Europe um, there's just you know there's been a there's been a there's been a lot of mileage on Evo since he uh, since he started on staff. And for a guy obviously who who gets a lot puts in a lot of mileage, I know that this whole thing was whirlwind. He he got the job. He flew to UCLA. He immediately was involved in those two official visits uh, from let's see who was it uh, Milan Momsilovic and Andrei Stoyakovich. Uh, Soyakovich, God, all these, all these Serbian names. And then, uh, then went in, flew out international uh, to various, to I think a few tournaments in Europe. I know he was gone from his family for like a month and a half. He has two young kids, so that had to be that had to be tough. But and you know, it, it, moving to Los Angeles, having to find a house, place to live, schools for his kids, it's a lot. Um, but I think he's going to have a major impact. I've, I've been hearing UCLA's name out there in international recruiting. Well, I, I can't make it plural. I have one guy <laughs> who has some sources out there in international recruiting. One guy. That's all I have. And he told me, hey, I'm hearing UCLA's involved with a bunch of guys now. So um, I would suspect they're going to, uh, in that big 2023 class, there will be at least one international uh, recruit among that class, so he's going to have he's going to have a major impact. Yeah, and that's uh, you know in the in the weird you know nil waters that we currently exist in, um, that's probably important. You know, just to expand the scope a little bit, have more options. Uh, and not along just those in the same United lines, States. Dave. Yeah, you know those international guys even more so than American. Recruits are going to, as soon as you call them up or call up their representatives, they're going to say, so what NIL do you have for me? Oh, yeah. I mean, more readily than American recruits. Oh, absolutely. Um, but expanding that scope, um, especially if, you know, look at what's happening in recruiting when like a Duke offer comes out. Um, Duke isn't going international all that often. So it does, it's a different competitive environment um, in recruiting. Yeah. Which, you know can be different can help yeah so his impact on the team um i've watched a lot of tape i've watched five full games of him uh this is zonka hey off mike uh, before we did this i asked dave hey it's like larry zonka the old miami dolphins running back and dave who knows a lot about sports even beyond 
his birth date. Dave did not know who Larry Zonka is. So I told him to go to YouTube and watch some Larry Zonka clips because the dude was a beast. Um, okay, so what Zonka will bring, I watched a lot of tape on him. 6'6 to 6'7, 180, 190 pounds. Uh, he's still pretty skinny. Amazingly enough, I watched a tape of him probably a year and a half ago, beginning of 2021. And he was skinnier. So that means there's a sign that he can put on weight. He's put on some muscle. Uh, he is 20 years old. So there's always a worry when you have an older recruit, can he actually put on weight? But it looks like he has, um, which is a good sign because he's going to have to get bigger and stronger. Uh, I, I think he's clearly a multiple, multiple year guy, three or four year guy at UCLA. Uh, but there's a couple of, a couple of really big points here. UCLA only, only had 10 scholarship players going into this season. I think he's going to get solid bench minutes uh, coming off the bench because there just aren't that many wings on this team, pure wings that, especially his type, 6'6", that is small forward type. So he'll be able to match up against some some opponents that, that throw 6'6", long wings at UCLA. Uh I liked him defensively. I thought he had good feet, good lateral quickness, um, good positional defense. Liked how hard he played on defense. And as you know, that will probably get him on the court in uh, a Mick Cronin program. And then secondly, so I, I see him playing this year. He, I mean, we can keep talking about him. I like his outside stroke. I looked at a lot of different stats. I, I think for his whole lifetime career, he's shooting like 35% from three. Uh, he shot 35% from three in the FIBA U20 when he was really ill. After that first game where he had 22 points and led the Italian team, he apparently had a pretty uh, debilitating illness, but he kept playing. But he still thought shot 35% from three. I really watched his shot. It's a nice shot. It's a nice outside shot. So uh, we'll see offensively. He likes to slash. He's got a great first step offensively. His dribble, his handle is a, is a little weak. Uh, it'll probably get better as he gets stronger uh, and older. Uh, but I, th I think he's going to play. And then as you and I discussed, Dave, the 2023 class, uh, you know, six to eight guys UCLA will probably need in that class. And they have not gotten a commitment yet. So it's a little, you'd say it's a little worrisome. But getting Sanka, like when I Zonka, told you, Zonka. Zonka. Damn, getting Larry Zonka. I got to keep thinking. I'm picturing him as Larry Zonka. Uh, really helps alleviate some worry about that 2023 class, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Um, getting a multi-year wing in this class, it just, it removes that from being necessary next class. Um so yeah, it's huge, especially with the way 2023 looks to be trending, you know, and, and it was, you know, if you go back to six months ago, it was easy to foresee them being, there being some issues, if only because, uh, the, the West was kind of down, um, but getting Zonka, um, it does solve that to an extent, um, you know, it's one, one less guy you need to get, um, looking at. Uh, next year's roster, yeah, it does, it, it kind of solves one of the major issues, which is 
you were going to be playing somebody who's more of a true two-guard size at the wing position if you didn't have Zonka. And you might still have to, like David Singleton or Will McClendon will have to play probably a little bit of wing minutes. Um, but now you have Zonka, who will back up, you know, more than likely Jalen Clark at the quote-unquote three, um, and affording Clark the opportunity to back up Hakez at the four, too. Um, so Clark will still get his minutes, but Zonka could easily get 15 to 20. Like, that's that's definitely available on this roster next year. Yeah. Kind of funny to think about it when the year before there were no minutes in you know, mid-season, we were saying, how would Peyton Watson even get 8 to 10 minutes on that team yeah. compared to now where there's plenty of minutes available? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, everyone should take uh, – one of the big uh, bullet points here, takeaways, really helps allays – if UCLA needs 6 to 8 prospects in the next class – it wants a point guard combo guard. It wants a post, so that's two. Uh, among the other, you know, three to six guys it's going to need will be all different sized kind of wings, from shooting guards to power forward kind of wings. They're all in one big bucket now, even though we can break down that, those buckets. Um, he's your typical kind of small forward wing. Uh, between UCLA recruiting high school, being in the transfer market in the offseason, and being in the international market, you know, you can see them filling out those guys at the wing, but it really helps that, that they get him. Especially, he's there a, a year early. He'll be in the program for a year. Uh, physical strength and conditioning for a year. So, uh, a big advantage to getting him now compared to another wing that's at about his level in the 2023 class. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the the size component, I think, shouldn't be discounted. Like what you were saying about his, you know, his general height and length. UCLA was projected to have a pretty, it's not, it's a weird thing to think about. Because Jules Bernard and Johnny Juzang left, that's two six six ish guys who left the roster. And they were projected to be replaced by essentially a, a whole slate of like six four-ish guys um with Zonka you're getting again another guy who's like six six um who can provide some length um and that's good at these spots because I mean and we'll see I mean he's still relatively young and and we'll see what he looks like in the UCLA roster but um that could improve you know defensive rebounding at these other spots which has actually been an unheralded key for Cronin's program, like getting good defensive rebounding out of Jules Bernard this past year, but even Johnny Juzang really improved as a defensive rebounder. Um, adding some some height there is, is, is actually really key. So that was good to see. What I've also heard is that he's a great kid, a great work ethic, uh, humble, unlike other Euros that think that uh, don't necessarily take college academics seriously, thinking it's just a way station towards the MBA. He's he's actually a really good student, supposed to be a smart kid. Uh, it will help, I think, that there's essentially another international freshman in Adembona who will be on the roster, uh, helping him with the transition. I mean, uh, to fly into Los Angeles and suddenly start enrolling in school and, and being in LA, I, I think having a, a big 
well, three other freshmen, uh, two guys from LA and another international player will probably help him uh, with a smooth transition. But what's probably going to help him the most is just a really good kid with a good work ethic. So it's a good fit all the way around. Um, I think I would have rather even seen, you know, you and I are always leaning towards the multi-year guys rather than the one and done. Yes. I started to think about this. If they had gotten an international guy who was on so many NBA draft lists, would you have rather had that or a multi-year guy? And I absolutely, at this point, I really would rather have the multi-year guy. No question about it. Um, and, you know, if you're looking at an issue with this incoming class, it's that two of the guys are not going to, uh, well, two of the guys have a decent chance of not being here next year in Bailey and Bona. Um, that's, for this cycle, because of the state of 2023, simply in terms of the numbers you need, all that kind of stuff, you would like this class to be all multi-year guys because you need that roster continuity going into 2023. Um, but adding one here in, in Zonka is huge. You know, now you have, at the very least, you have Zonka and Andrews who are going to be back in 2023. Um, and you can build build some things around them, you know, obviously depending on whether Jalen Clark comes back tiger campbell comes back as we've talked about um all those things could happen in 2023 but um having another guy to build around in that going into that cycle will be huge and you touched on something um we had always thought amari bailey would be the most obvious one and done and and i don't think that that's changed that much but, but somebody else's has changed a little uh, bit <laughs> Damn. <laughs> a Dembona looks like a... The, the FIBA stuff I was seeing, it was like... I don't know. It was like something out of a movie where you're just like, oh, who's this guy? Like, this is amazing. Um, it's, it's nice they don't pay, play much defense. Oh, uh, <laughs> but but he looked incredible. Um, So, yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. But, yeah. That I, I could, could completely see him. If he averages 10 and 9 and... Two and a half, two blocks a game. Uh, there, there has been a precedent of those kind of hyper athletic six nine guys uh, being one and done. Even yeah. recently, they, yeah, no, he was I, compared yeah. to someone in the twenty twenty two NBA draft. I can't remember who that was, but it made it made a lot of sense to me. So, uh, and the way he he just is physically an athlete. His athleticism is on such another level. It's on an. Uh, a high-end NBA level. Yeah, so, I'll, I'll just say everyone should enjoy this year of a Dembona. Yeah. 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 Um, but, again, you know, you get Zonka, that, that adds um, some continuity heading into next year, which is going to be sorely needed. You need guys who will have spent a year in the program to get the uh, what's going to be a big class, no matter how it shakes out, whether it's two or three international guys and some high school guys or what. Um, it's going to be a bunch of newcomers to Cronin's program. So as many guys as have a have a year under their belt of, you know, Cronin's expectations and all that kind of stuff, um, that's better. Yeah. Um, so that kind of leads us a little into we should probably just touch on 2023 recruiting. Yes. Uh, Isaiah Collier officially visited. Uh, that's the number one point guard in the country. UCLA's prime target officially visited Michigan. As of yesterday, I hadn't seen any reports on that visit. Um, I don't know if you have. I hadn't he's, seen anything yet. He's supposed to make a decision pretty quickly after that visit. 
I don't know what silence means. <laughs> um, usually the Michigan sites and sources are pretty quick on reports. But again, take that, take from whatever that from whatever you would. Uh, uh, Chris Johnson, a combo guard, UCLA had been recruiting, committed to Kansas. We kind of knew that. He never officially never visited UCLA. So there's there's that. Um, not too many other develop. Uh, Caden Cooper, uh, uh, a shooting guard released his final list and I don't even know who was on it but I know UCLA wasn't uh, not a big blow I watched him in three games in the recent Adidas tournament admittedly everyone was dragging uh, a, a decent athlete uh, this is what always gets me about when people talk about athleticism so many times when there are people who are evaluating someone they see a guy throw down a monster dunk and they say, great athlete. And then you watch him on defense and he can't move his feet laterally very. That's completely different. Well, sometimes an athlete can do, you know, a lot of times can do both. Sometimes they can jump up and down, but they can't move laterally. And when it when it comes to basketball, which skill? Which athletic ability are you using more? Your lateral quickness or your ability to dunk a ball? Right. Um, so the lateral quickness athleticism, while it's not flashy, it, to me, it's amazing. Uh, one of the most amazing things is when you see a player stay in front of a ball defensively just because he's so amazingly quick, like... Um, uh, Dedan Thomas, when we watched him, and you were there to see him yep. at Adidas when he when he was five eleven guy guarding six one point guards, just his feet were so quick and staying in front of him, beating him to the spot. It was just that's that's something to see. So, um, well, uh, that's what happens when you're judging ath athleticism. So. When we get getting back to this class, uh, I don't think Caden Cooper was that big of a loss. I don't even know why really UCLA offered him. There must have been, usually when you see late offers like this, how it happens, just for you all to know. The program calls up one of the guy's handlers and said, hey, we really like him. But you know what? At this point, we know he's pretty far down the line with other programs. We only want to offer him if you tell us he's he will legitimately be interested. He'll want to take an official visit. Then we'll absolutely offer him. We like him. But if not, it's kind of a waste of both of our times. And that representative says, "Oh my gosh, yes, he loves you guys. He would love to get. He would absolutely, he would absolutely visit." So the program offers, and then the kid never says he's going to visit, or or might randomly say, but. They can't get him on the phone to get an official visit. So they are kind of a little bit bamboozled by that rep because he just wants the publicity of the tweet that UCLA offered player A, right. prospect A. So I hope you guys all get a sense at how difficult it is to recruit <laughs> and, and, and the guys you deal with out there, all the handlers and the entourage. But anyway, so that got me off on a little bit of a tangent uh, from Caden Cooper. Uh, there haven't been too many other developments. Uh, I think we had already talked about Jamie Kaiser. Did we talk about that he wasn't 
visiting? We did. Yes. Um, and I think, like, there's still a possibility that he may reschedule that thing. But, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that thing... Here's another way this happened. So, uh, Jay, he was playing well. UCLA doing its due diligence reaches out, and this is like I said, this is generally how it happens. There is an expression of "We are so interested in UCLA. We're so UCLA starts recruiting him," but ultimately, you could tell that there probably wasn't. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 a tough thing. Um, but right now, coming up on the agenda, we've got. Isaiah Collier's decision, and unless he changes his mind on when he's making that decision, that should be pretty soon. Uh, Andre Stoyakovic released a top six, <laughs> which I continue to hear is just the kid going through the motions of what every recruit he knows does. Uh, but that he, there's. There's two bits of information. The inside thing that comes from around his family and, and AU and all that, that he, he, won't, he won't prolong this thing. And then Andre himself releasing a top six list. So there's that. A bunch uh, of people around him would like him to cut the shit. <laughs> and, and he's like, no, nah, I'm 17. I'll only be 17 once. Let's do this. Can't really blame him that much i mean i get it i do i mean from a ucla standpoint it's tough to get through but i, I can't blame the kid um and then there are two official visits coming up uh there's devin williams on the 16th and then brandon williams on the 17th uh what's the day today the third we still got you know a ways to go to get to those uh devin williams the post from uh corona centennial down to UCLA and USC. He's already visited USC. It will be very interesting what transpires on that UCLA official visit. I'm sure Mick Cronin will say, Devin, I just want to be clear. You're not a one and done. You're a post player. I'm going to put weight on you, strength. I'm going to make you a tough ass, and you are going to be ready to get to the NBA within, you know, a, a couple of years. But that's the straight dope on you. And we'll see how Devin Williams and his people take that. Um, Compared to other programs, they'll just say, oh, we think you're a wing. Shoot that three, buddy. <laughs> right. Uh, and then Brandon Williams. Um, we'll see uh, how... I heard the trip is still on, I think, but there's a possibility it could be pushed back. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, I know they're trying, UCLA's trying to get official visits from some other guys like Cody Williams would love to get one on the books with Isaiah Miranda. He goes around saying he visited UCLA, but it was an unofficial visit. Uh, would love to get one from El Marco Jackson, the kid from Connecticut, the combo guard. Uh, and Michael Nowoko, Nowoko, the post player from the East Coast who's now going to play his senior year at Prolific Prep. So that's kind of where, we, where we're standing. Uh, did I mention Cody Williams? Uh, UCLA still, I think, feels that they're doing pretty well with him, too. The wing from Arizona. Okay. That's that's basketball recruiting. That was beautiful. Thank you. Um, all right. We should turn our attention to that most friendly of topics, our favorite topic on this podcast, football recruiting. Yes. I kind of ruffled some feathers. Uh -huh. That article on 
how UCLA has pretty much just shifted. I don't know why you think you've ruffled feathers. There's only <laughs> uh, 120 comments on it since you posted it yesterday. Yeah. And the reason, I mean, we've been saying this for a while. Um, and you, you, you saw it happening before our very eyes and we brought it up. But we wrote it now. I had a conversation with our friend Brandon Huffman and we just started really going through the stats saying, oh my God. I mean, in 2021 class, they offered 90 guys, 2022, 70, and now in this class, 55. And you could say, well, they could still offer more high schoolers, but they offered, they didn't offer anyone during the season last year. So we could be stuck at 55. There could be some guys who emerge in their senior year, let's say. Absolutely. Um, but uh, generally, their policy is Chip Kelly has to see them in person, and he generally doesn't get out during the season to go to high school games. So it could happen. We'll see. But there is definitely a trend that UCLA is offering less high schoolers year by year and taking more transfers. And right now... There are 18 2023 recruits out there that they have offers out to that are uncommitted somewhere. And I think maybe, and this is a stretch, five or six that they have a chance to get. It's hard to fill out a class of high school recruits with those kind of numbers. So this, it's a clear, and I mean, we have it from sources close to the program. Yeah, we're, we're, we're emphasizing transfer recruiting. Uh, now I'll leave it up to you and the posters to extrapolate from that. Why Chip Kelly is doing that. Oh, you, you want to, you want to leave it up to me and the posters? I I was just, I was just the facts guy. Okay. Um, I'll tell you why you ready. Sure. Um, it's because they don't want to recruit high school players because it's hard. It takes two years and it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um and look that's that's uh that's a that's a theory I have born out of um extensive testing um which is which was just reading what they've been doing for the last four and a half years. I yeah. I, I think it's like look there's a there's a rationalization that comes with a lot of this stuff where it's like oh they're trying to be selective they're trying to be Stanford and all that kind of stuff and it's like well okay but you've done it now for 4 years. How's it worked? Like what's the so you, process right? You know we're all process oriented. That 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 all makes sense. You know, uh, being process oriented, not being outcome oriented, because outcomes, you know, they can be dependent on luck. They can be dependent on other factors outside of your control. But if you control your process, yada yada yada. Totally get it. What has your process yielded through four and a half years of recruiting? High school recruiting. No, no, no. What has your process yielded in terms of your personnel? strategy well what's the record through four years you're well you 18 know it's in, and 25 you know it's interesting 18 and 25 you're exactly right you know the other thing that's very interesting in your story that you posted today about uh, we're counting down the top 30 guys we're at number three he's a transfer uh among the top 10 guys number 10 garrett to Giorgio high school recruit nine gabriel murphy well, let's just do Seven, Jake Bobo, transfer. Grayson Murphy, six, transfer. Raekwon O'Neal, four, transfer. Three, Darius Muasau, transfer. transfer. 
So is that five? One. Yeah, and you're going to get to number two and number one, and nobody, one everybody understands who those are, and one of those is a transfer. So that's six of ten. Mm-hmm. Imagine, <laughs> imagine if they if there wasn't. I mean, honestly, they've emphasized the transfer portal, and if it wasn't there, they would have emphasized high school recruiting more. But that's that's stunning right there to to think about it. And here's the other thing, though. How much eligibility is left in those guys? Not much, also. So yeah, you're on the hamster wheel. You got to reload on the every wheel. single wheel, every single year. I like every single wheel. Every single wheel. Every <laughs> single turn of the wheel. Um, it's uh, no. I mean, it's 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 an obvious, obvious, obvious at this point failed strategy. It obviously is not the right way to do this. Um, well, it, it's. I wouldn't say it's necessarily failed. Chip Kelly in the short term, but in building a roster that can effectively play competitively year in and year out. Uh, Let's just say no program has really done this. No program has decided we are going to try to build a roster with two-thirds transfers every year in Uh recruiting. Yeah, it just seems like it cannot be sustained because it's so variable who get how what players get into the transfer portal. If this last season UCLA were going to try to recruit multi-year offensive line transfers, it it would have been dismal. They would not have found enough guys. Mm-hmm. There, anyone that was good enough to play were were older offensive line transfers. It, they would have struggled. So. I just don't know the path forward in being able to sustain it. It really would come down to that hamster wheel that every year you're going into the transfer portal and you need to find realistically 10 to 12 starters every year who the majority of them are one and done guys that have one year of eligibility. That's what you would be left to doing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think, the part where this, this kind of falls on its face because it's, especially at certain positions, it's increasingly hard to do that. And it's, it's not just increasingly hard to replace them with starter level players because, yeah, okay, anyone can be a starter level player on a bad team. It's replacing them and either maintaining or upgrading. Because the, the reality is, we have at number four on this list Raekwon O'Neill. Um, now, obviously, we haven't seen him in a UCLA uniform. Maybe he's going to surprise, but uh, nothing I've heard about him, nothing I've seen from him, indicates he's a he's a, a, a par with Sean Ryan. I mean, you're getting a transfer who's coming in and he's got limited eligibility, and he's probably not going to be as good as the guy who departed, who was you know just just for for full facts, uh, one of your high school recruits. Um, and one of those guys who, when UCLA is recruiting the way it should recruit, is, yeah, I won't say easy to get, but certainly a guy who's in UCLA's wheelhouse to get. Um, you know, guys like Sean Ryan. That can happen. Because UCLA, it's not that long ago that they were churning out, you know, top 15 uh, high school classes. Um, you know, and, and it just, it's... I don't know. You you look at this whole list of guys, and yeah, there's there's some there's some impressive players. You know, we're excited about the Murphy twins. We're excited about Musau, 
but just reloading every single year with these quality of players, um, that's enough to maintain maybe a level. Um, but you've got to also be able to upgrade. You've got to also be able to develop guys. Um, and the offensive line situation as it is right now, um, I think they're stuck on the hamster wheel because they're not going to have time to uh, essentially develop a bunch of freshmen for three years. Um, they're going to need to continue to get impact starters every single season on the offensive line. And that's a crazy situation to be in because that's probably the, the the position group that is most coveted in the transfer portal. Yeah. And so that creates this scenario, which we would have, we foresaw would happen. And now we're right in the middle of watching it happen. And that's, Let's say you decide with offensive line, we're going to go out and we, we recognize some guys in the high school class that we think are good enough to play at UCLA. We're going to go after them. Let's say 10 guys. Uh, we're pursuing them. We like them. And then suddenly you strike out on almost all of them. In your, since you've recruited the transfer portal well, in your mind as a head coach or even as a coaching staff, you say, oh, well, we've got the transfer portal. We'll go there because we don't see any other high schoolers that we think are really good enough to offer. That's that's the mindset, just so you know. This is how the everyone was asking, and I asked, well, what are the coaches thinking? They're thinking there's a level of talent that is needed to play at the UCLA level. We recognize those prospects in high school. We missed on all of them, oh, well we will go find that level in the transfer portal. So this mindset then, I think you can you can go here and get a receiver, you can get a running back, but to go out and get four to five offensive linemen in the transfer portal, that's, that's gonna be experimental. And over the next two years, and then the third year when they go to the Big 10, they're going to need multi-year guys and one-year plug-and-play immediate impact guys, all three of those years on the offensive line from the transfer portal. Wow, that's that's a huge endeavor that's never been done before. But it comes from the mindset, There's the transfer portal is now a safety net for UCLA on a bigger and not just on a sporadic one here and one there. We're, we're looking at it right now with 2023 offensive line recruiting for really almost all of its offensive line recruiting. Maybe right. it might get Raymond Polito. Uh, so maybe it gets one, but it's going to need three to four guys from the transfer portal at this rate. Right. That's a huge proposition to me yeah. to be able to do that. Well, especially when you look at like what they did this past cycle um, because they got Raekwon O'Neal, but then it was, well... Very late in the game, Jalen Jeffers and Liam Douglas. Um, Jalen Jeffers, I think, is a good example of kind of the... Because Jalen Jeffers, they're now getting as a redshirt sophomore. And yeah, there's the COVID eligibility rules, so he'll have, I think, four years of eligibility. Um, but that guy's gettable in high school. Why are you waiting a couple years into his high school into his college career to get him? Because they tried and they didn't get him. Yeah, they yeah, but I, I, I don't mean him specifically. But okay. I mean, like that level of prospect is gettable in high school. Um, just 
I don't know. It's just it's. And the thing is, in my opinion, and those of some uh, scouts, he was a better prospect than he's been so far as a college player. Yeah. Um. So when he was a good prospect, you missed on him, and then when now he doesn't look as good as a college player, you you got him. Well, Um, and there's like a lot of noise banding about that um, the perceived advantage of getting these transfers, which is that they can't transfer again. That that's probably going away too. That's going away. Yeah. So the, the 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 perceived advantage, which is that okay, well, once these guys go to you, they can't go elsewhere. First, it's probably not the case in reality anyway. Right now, like the waiver system right now is easily abused. But second, that rule is probably changing. Um, and so this this pivot to the transfer portal for like the security of getting guys who have to stay in the program, probably not going to maintain too much longer. Yeah. So and, uh, yeah, and along those same lines, there is a natural hierarchy when you are recruiting high school players. You bring in an offensive lineman, let's say in the twenty twenty class, at his at at right tackle, uh, let's say as a tackle. You bring one in, interior player. So you got two guys twenty twenty. You go out in twenty twenty one. You can absolutely recruit a tackle and a guard. And the natural, even if those 2021 guys are projected as better college players than the 2020 guys, the 2020 guys are in the program. They think, oh, I'm better than those guys. I'm a year ahead. Those are just slappy little high school guys. I mean, I can beat them out. There's that mentality. That mentality is key to maintaining personnel and a depth chart. I can't even tell. That is the fabric of a team is that assumption (laughs) by these guys on the roster that they will always have a chance to beat out the guys who are younger than they are. Right. Right? So when you're recruiting now, let's say, let's say they need to take four offensive linemen in the transfer portal. Ideal situation, ideal, ideal, ideal situation. You get one super senior who comes in, has one year remaining. But then you get at least two or three guys who are multi-year guys. That would be amazing if that happened. Unlikely. From what we've seen of the transfer portal last two years, there aren't that many guys available. Now, there could be, as you said, if they lift that rule and every and it's a free-for-all in the Wild West of everyone transferring. But the other side of that, the downside, is that... Let's say... Let's just, let's just take someone. I'm just going to randomly pick Benjamin Roy who is a redshirt freshman center this year. Uh, how about Noah, Noah Pugliali, who will be a redshirt freshman guard, who when we saw him as a prospect in high school, I, I really liked him. He hasn't, he's fought some injury, uh, but I think he, from what I saw, probably still has the potential to be a, a, a big contributor at UCLA. So he's a redshirt freshman. He's going to keep working, work his way up, get bigger, stronger, work his way in, hopefully, to the starting lineup over the next few years. Same with Benjamin Roy. Uh, They go out, they recruit the transfer portal. Well, you can't exactly always just get those development guys. The guys they're going to also get are the guys who who are long-term starters at another school. They have one year left or maybe two. And you are going to recruit over the Noah Pugliali's and Benjamin Roy's. Now, they now see 
I am at a position where they're bringing in this guy who started for two years at Rice, and he's pretty good. I've seen him on some NFL lists. Okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is going to be the natural mentality of this. You have now blown up so much of that tenet of building uh, roster depth by the assumption that a younger guy is not as good as the older guy. I mean, that is <laughs> that is such a foundational element of building a college football roster. And you are blowing that, you're kind of blowing that up by not recruiting high schoolers and recruiting, emphasizing transfer portal. Yeah. So, I mean, there, are, and then there's the element of what it actually does to high school recruiting. If UCLA does make this shift and this is what it does now, and this is its recruiting tactic. If you're a high school recruiting, you're like, ah, I go there, I like the school, I love everything about it, but they're gonna recruit over me with a two year starter from another school I could put in two years there, work my ass off, and they bring in some guy who's a former starter at a, you know, at an SEC school. I, they are more readily will do that than at other programs. Uh, it's again, it's all un unproven territory here. We don't know. Could this work? Absolutely. There are just so many arguments against it working that are. Purely hypothetical, but they make logical sense. Um, here's my question to you. Um, does this seem like kind of a short-term recruiting tactic in your mind? Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's basically um, uh, what's the what's the it's basically like a private equity firm just bought your business and is now trying to eke out a short-term profit before they can sell the thing. Um, like it just seems like constantly trying to parlay into a single season of success to then achieve some, you know, brass ring in the future. Your contention has been throughout that oh, UCLA's recruiting is going to go into overdrive once they um, once they have a successful season or it has the potential to. Um, I, I, I do not perceive them even trying to take advantage of that. I think their goal is to win and then um, have that be proof of this process and continue this process. Someplace um, else. I, no, <laughs> here. I, I, I think there's it's it goes back to the old laboratory experiment uh, argument with Chip Kelly, which is I think he's 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 loving the idea of this being a proof of concept. Um, and okay, well, if they win, great. It proved our concept. And that's, and that's it. it. That's the goal. The goal is the goal is the process. The process is the goal. Right. Um, the goal is to prove that his process is correct. It is. It's an it intellectual, is. it's an intellectual exercise. And it's very much based on the process of the here and now, right now. No, no, no. Yeah. Most people who are process oriented are focused on the here and now. You right. have to incorporate outcomes at some point, whether that's on a one-year time horizon, a three-year time horizon, five-year, whatever you want to call it, you have to start incorporating the outcomes because that is how you modify a process. Right, and that's what makes this interesting. Because no, he, that's what makes this insane. Insanely interesting. In, interestingly insane is that a coach who emphasizes the process, and we get it, who, who has kind of uh, just 
avoided that uh, the the contemplation of the outcome this is a prime example of that if you sat down and really thought about the potential outcomes you might reconsider this immediate process but that's not part of this it seems right yeah well no my point is not even analyzing potential outcomes look at the outcomes so far from your strategy of personnel acquisition and your strategy of uh, personnel management. They would actually say this is this, it's been successful, 100%. Right, that's insane. That's why you need people telling you though that's not correct. You're well, not successful. why is that insane? We just, I'm, I'm devil's advocate. Six of the top 10 guys that we say are most important are, are transfers. Why can't they do that every year is going to be their opinion. Because right now they're 18 and 25 with their best year having been eight and four, where they lost to every single good team they played. But they've only been doing the transfer recruiting. So if you want to get narrow on it, if you want to get narrow on it, you narrow. look at you look at the actual personnel on the roster and you say to yourself, we had to reload with six new transfers to take over spots because we we didn't actually recruit effectively enough at the high school level. We're they going to have to continue to do that every single year. We That's, naturally inherited this roster and this program that needed just to be cleaned out. It was horrible. We started to try to rebuild through high school recruiting, and that that pretty much is what got us. That combination is what got us those first couple of years and why we didn't win. Then we discovered the transfer portal, and now look at us. Discovered are, it. Yeah, yeah, they discovered it for sure. That's I, Dave, you know that's the mindset. Oh, of course. But yeah. the, it's, it's, um, it's just, it, it goes back, to, it's just a human centipede of process justification. Um, you have to have such low expectations for this program. Um, you have to, like, internally not understand its potential at any level to think that any of this is okay. Like to think that any of this is like the right way to run the UCLA football program. You're it, they're running this as if it is and this has been what I've been saying since 2019, but it's as if it's Kansas State. It's it's as if you're okay, yeah, Kansas State had a re, very unique recruiting model under Bill Snyder. The reason is because it's located in Manhattan, Kansas. Like, you don't need to do this at UCLA. In fact, it's not even just that, like, oh, there are many roads to success at UCLA. This is a worse road to a lesser form of success. Like, that's what this is. You don't so look at the past, yeah, I don't know, 20 years no, 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 of UCLA no. history and say, oh, the problem was all those good players they got. No, the problem was the the very bad coaching and very bad support. But the players were not the problem. It wasn't a problem to have Maurice Drew and Mercedes Lewis. It wasn't a problem to have Anthony Barr. It wasn't a problem to have Josh Rosen. The problem was a lot of bad decisions made by coaches over the last 20 years. Now you have this where it's as if they're treating the problem as the fact that UCLA historically has been able to get top-tier high school talent. It's an insane assessment of the situation. It so, does not make any sense. It never made any sense to run this program like it's Minnesota or Kansas State. And it, they can come up with all the justifications they want. They can look at this and say, oh, the process is working out because we have a bunch of transfers in our top 10, which is just like such insane circular logic. Um, 
but the end result it's it's not going to work out I'll, it's you know they might have a good year this year because the schedule is the weakest it's ever been um but it's not hard to see the doom that's potentially coming in 2023 so you you bring up a good uh hypothetical scenario how would chip kelly do recruiting at kansas state or minnesota uh coaching there i think he'd do great i think he'd do pretty well I think, I think this in a model Kansas State, he makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think this model would absolutely fit there. Well, but here's the thing. Relative to expectations, now maybe coming a few years after Bill Snyder's gone, it'll be a little bit different, but I think he would do about what he's doing at UCLA at Kansas State. Like, I think at Kansas State, he'd be 8-4 and four by his fourth year, and they'd be like, oh, great. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's just but, not what, you, it's not what yeah. UCLA is. It's not what UCLA should be. And... You know, I think expectations for a lot of the fan base have been just absolutely beaten down and with good reason over the last, like, seven, eight years especially, but certainly the last 25. But this isn't what it needs to be. Like, this is not what... This isn't, like, destiny for UCLA football. It doesn't have to be like this. Like, they could still be, even in this NIL era, they could still be recruiting at a top 20, 25 level every single year in high school recruiting. It's just proximity to talent. It's still the name of the game. The fact that you're in L.A., like, L.A., because, okay, so the L.A. and California is, like, relative to other states probably receding in terms of talent. It's still, like, top three or four, but it's receding a little bit. But because it's in L.A., you also have Arizona. You know what's cool about Arizona kids is that, um, first, that area is still growing. And second, nobody wants to stay in the state of Arizona. Yeah, Alabama's able to get some of those guys now, but a lot, some of them are going to want to stay where their parents are in driving distance. You can go recruit there. Like, there's there's so much proximity to really good talent. It just doesn't need to be this way. It really yeah. doesn't. Yeah, and, and see, that's the interesting argument. We've been saying UCLA has natural advantages in people because they look at the result. They go, what natural advantages? Go, Take the bigger picture. UCLA is the number two football program in the Pac-12 over the last 50 years. Just is. I mean, it's just plain pretty much fact. And they've been doing that because of that proximity to talent, because it's in Los Angeles, because they can recruit to LA. It certainly hasn't been because of coaching, and it hasn't been because of of, of funding. Carl Durrell. Carl Durrell rode talent to a 10 and 2 season. Like that was uh, go look at 2005 and say to me that like oh it's the talent that's the problem. They were literally at the end of those games drawing up plays on their palms of their hand to make those comebacks because the coaching was so bad. But because they'd recruited well enough and they had Maurice Drew and they had Mercedes Lewis and they had a bunch of defensive talent, they had Bruce Davis, they had Justin Hickman, they 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 were able to pull off 10 wins. Uh you can UCLA has been operating with one hand tied behind its back for most of its like modern recent history uh but that one hand tied behind its back is not recruiting great talent the one hand tied behind its back is hiring bad coaches or not supporting adequately the like few good ones you do hire someone posted on the forum uh the the per program uh uh, how many players uh, different college programs have in the NFL? 
And I've, we've seen it over the years. UCLA is consistently top 20. Well, look at all. I mean, look at the new Heisman guys. Like David Carter, who like I don't think ever did anything really in college. He ended up a NFL player. There were a bunch of new Heisman guys who like were obviously playing the wrong position. And then they went to the NFL, played the right position, and then had an NFL career. Like there's just... <laughs> Talent is not the problem. The talent acquisition model is not the problem. The personnel was not the problem. It, it just wasn't. We have solved a problem that didn't exist. Congratulations, Chip Kelly. And then let's throw in something else. And this stuns people. This stuns UCLA fans. It stuns non-UCLA fans. So Mike Regalado did a story where uh, this Alabama-based site <laughs> published the results of like this, it's market research from some other company and they literally went in and analyzed the, the football programs, not, not the schools, but the football programs, the most popular uh, football programs based on how many fans it has from Gen Z, Millennial. <laughs> UCLA was top 10. <laughs> how could that be? There's only 45,000 people coming out to the Rose. How can that be, right? And then what was the other story? Uh, I think we did earlier in the day, uh, there was, or the day before. People are stunned when they see how much natural support there is for the UCLA football program. I mean, it, it is in recruiting, if you go over the last 20 something years, top 20, top 20 recruiting program. It's yeah. just, as you said, it's BBS. They've been beaten down. So you get all this data and they go, how can that be? <laughs> UCLA hasn't, you know, been winning for the last five, six years. It's because with all of this, all of this resources, all of these things that would naturally contribute to a winning program, they've screwed the pooch. I mean, that's all you can come up to. We've said it before. You, UCLA just needs... Not even an incredible coach, just a really good coach who wants to be there and is driven to win at this level. Literally, you just need the first three years, first two years of Jim Mora, just in perpetuity. It's basically a dude with some energy, comes in and recruits, hires a bang-up recruiting staff, hires a couple of good coordinators, and then, you know, stays out of the way. It's really, I mean, it's not... I don't know. I mean, it's 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 uh, yeah, NIL, that new stuff complicates things to an extent. But other big thing is um, my theory on NIL is it would get figured out damn quick if UCLA had a competent football staff right now. People would die to give money to a competent UCLA football program. Wasserman, Wasserman yeah. was funded pretty damn quick. It uh, was good that you brought this up. Because there's this discussion about NIL and people in the forum say, well, it's not up to the program. Uh, okay, first off, let's just, before we even get to the NIL support, donors around the UCLA program who have traditionally given a lot of money, I mean, there are still donors, they're on their annual thing, but there are other donors who are, are sitting this program out. The way donors work is I give my money, I want access, I want to be schmoozed, I want, I, you know, I want this, I want Chip Kelly doesn't do the donor thing. Um, 
Jim Mora did. Uh, Mick Cronin does. Um, you have to. That's where the pipeline of money keeps coming. It's about winning. Donors will give money toward winning programs and toward programs that basically kiss their butt. Yeah. And so and, they have two problems, which is nobody wants to back a loser and Chip Kelly doesn't kiss their butt. Yeah. And the funniest part is if you kiss the butt of a donor, they'll keep giving money even when you lose. Exactly. It's more important that you kiss their butt and give them access and treat them special. Right. They like to keep their posteriors moist. <laughs> so then bring in NIL. Of course, right now, these donors out there who are going, I'm not giving money to this program. Do you think they're just naturally hopping on the NIL bandwagon? Now, if you had a winning program, one, two, you had a bunch of really well schmoozed donors, you, you would see a UCLA football NIL program off the ground and running right now, easily. So even though we're saying in this new era, UCLA, the one element here that we're, we're not sure about is NIL. Like you said, if they win and there's a coach that is out there doing whatever he can within NCAA rules to, to help build NIL programs, I'm pretty confident UCLA will at least be able to be competitive in, in the NIL market. Right. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a happy conversation. So, so very... uh, going into this season right now. You... Hey, yeah, fall game starts on Friday, everyone. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, <laughs> do you think they get to 10 wins? Uh, I think they should get to 10 wins. I don't do think... think they get to 10 wins. Okay, so eight wins. Let's say at eight wins, regular season wins. <clears throat> I'd have to assume that's probably a, a decent loss against USC. Is Chip Kelly the coach in 2023? So, I don't think he should be. I think they need to probably shift gears going into the Big Ten. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, they, they're going to have to do the, like, galaxy brain, try to figure out, is it a more attractive job? Uh, going into the year before the move, or is it a more attractive job going into the move? I would have to think the year before, if only because the coach is going to want to be, you know, kind of ensconced before organizing, like, okay, what's this going to be like? Because it'll be one thing to transition in as the new guy when you're, you know, get, just learning your team and all that kind of stuff. It's another thing to transition when the whole transition to the Big Ten is happening as well. Yes. Um, you know, there'll probably be... I would guess there'll probably be like a higher transfer rate that off season heading into the Big Ten. Um, just you know, maybe some guys who want to stay, you know, playing a bunch of West Coast teams, yeah, whatever. Like slightly higher, not anything big. Um, and so I, I would think the a new coach would want to start a little bit earlier than that. Um, so I think for Martin Jarmond, um, that'll be you know something to consider. And, and then, then also, contract, it's simply it's simply not yeah. successful enough um, yeah. if they're eight and four or so, um, especially looking ahead at twenty twenty three, which could be a nightmare. Yeah, I mean Jarman's contract. Once you get through all those, you know, all the wording, it's pretty much geared for his ability to be able to fire Chip Kelly. Yeah. Either Chip Kelly leaves on his own, and Chip Kelly 
owes UCLA something or it makes it pretty affordable to fire him anytime after this year or next. Yeah, so they have the flexibility and I would my my two cents and you know this may reflect some of my own bias here uh would be um get it done after this year if this year isn't clearly successful. Yes. So I know we've said this before, but pretty pivotal year, don't you think? And you know what's really interesting about this too? (laughs) The national media, God bless them. And even a lot of guys I really respect. A lot of 24-7 guys that I think are really on the ball too. I'm going to throw them into that. And they're at the top end of it. They're on the Chip Kelly bandwagon going into the season, aren't they? Um, Because all they do is see, ah, started off slow, had to change the culture. Got to eight and four last year. Now on the brink, he's poised to do better, which could very well be true because of that, because of that uh, soft schedule. Which a lot of national guys don't even bring up the schedule; they just think it's on an upward trend. Chip Kelly, upward trend, had a build. Where we have pointed out, when it comes to just the pure team wise. We have so many more question marks about this team than we did last year's team that ended up going eight and four. No one seems to break down. And, and you know what? They also see Dorian Thompson Robinson and Zach Charbonnet. And they say, wow, okay. So on the upward swing, those two guys. Uh, very interesting, the perception of UCLA from the media right now. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, I, I we'll see going into... Um fall camp because that's usually when the true um stupid hype starts um because you're gonna see like there's gonna be the like annual the now annual tradition of bruce feldman writing a story that this is chip's year um <laughs> there, like that stuff happens because chip for all of his warts with the local media um he has, <coughs> he has spent a long time developing relationships with the national media it, it was really like at uh media day when you know he's like super begrudgingly eventually going to talk to the beat writers, but just gabbing it up with Pete Thamel. Like just, oh yeah, just, uh, you know, true salt of the earth. Why do you um, think that is? Do you think because he spent, he was a national media guy for a while at ESPN? He knows them better or they just won't ask him. He knows there aren't going to be tougher questions from those guys. I think, I don't know. I think he has an understanding of the situation where those guys have more juice nationally and that's the way to increase his profile. I mean, I think it's basic. Um, You know, I don't think he has the time of day for the local guys um, for basic energy reasons, but also, um, you know, inclined to ask him tough questions, uh, inclined to poke around in ways that he doesn't want. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird thing. But anyway, um, uh, he's always going to get positive stuff nationally um, because of, I think, that, um, where he kind of focuses on that relationship but it's the thing is that that narrative is going to be justified in the minds of those idiots too like and i'm not talking about bruce there but like the the kind of you know like usa today writers or whatever um because they're gonna go eight and four better and to the layman who has no knowledge and that's what a lot of these national writer types have which is nothing uh that's gonna look fine like oh great eight and four, uh, he's he's maintained for another year. Uh, the trajectory is still pointed upward. 
Um, whereas and then we'll if he's know, fired, they'll go, that was so unjustified. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and that's something that um, Jarmon's going to have to contend with, which is um, the same kind of Ben Howland effect, where he got fired after winning a Pac-12 Pac championship. Um, you know, Chip, <laughs> it could be justified to fire Chip Kelly at 9-3 and three this year. Like, it could be. I mean, yeah. it depends on the circumstances of that nine and three, but it could happen. Like it could be justified. Now, whether or not it happens, I think it probably wouldn't, but it would potentially be justified. Uh, eight and four, I think, is almost certainly justified uh, what, because the schedule is so weak. One of my favorite things is that we have not been told really officially when UCLA uh, August practice starts. It's all it's it's Wednesday. Uh, today, today is Wednesday. We, and then Chip Kelly said practice starts Friday at, at media day. So he said, "Oh yeah, yeah." It, just, just FYI, everyone, it's yeah. Wednesday morning at nine twenty. Practice starts in two days at nine a.m. So in less than forty-eight hours, we still don't have a full and complete schedule for the the fall. We all we have, all we have is a few, enough people have told us now that August fifth, nine a.m. That's when it starts. That's including, all, we including Chip Kelly. Yeah. Um, but we don't. We, as the media, don't have a practice schedule. Don't. I mean, we have not even officially been told if we're getting access. Imagine. Uh, imagine your job, everyone yeah. out there. Imagine your job. You don't know if and when you'll be working in three days. For the next month. For the next month. It's cool. It's a cool situation. Is all I'm saying. Yeah. Anyway. So, so yeah, I, I, but I think there's absolutely, I think there's a chance of 10 and two and whatever results come from that, whether he finds, I, I absolutely think Chip Kelly is a good X's and O's offensive coach. I, I really do. And, and in his way, I think he's a good coach with, uh, player relationships. Sorry, just Googling uh, the etymology of the phrase, what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? I'm just saying that it's just so crazy that there isn't, everyone asks this question all the time, that there isn't the realization of, there's self-scouting element here, that I know how good I am at this, but I know my flaws. And why don't I hire people and let people fill in where I don't, uh, really excel. There I mean, are certain people. One of my who... college roommates was really good at X's and O's. He kicked ass at Madden. Really? Yeah, he was great. Uh, <laughs> but he, he he wasn't uh, you know he wasn't a college football coach. What I'm saying is the realization that uh, I can do this. Why don't I just bring in a bunch of uh, assistant coaches that are kick ass recruiters and uh, pay a huge amount of money and even a maybe a million out of my salary to bring in a dynamic defensive coordinator. But there you go. These are the tragedies. The tragedy of the commons. Um, but I see, I think there's still a chance they go 10 and two and then a chance that Chip Kelly leaves. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What the hell? But All it's right. still it's still fun to see him out there in those pretty uniforms every year. Uh huh. <laughs> You're such not a uniform guy. No, no, not at all. Not in the slightest. You're not into clothes, are you? 
No. Yeah. I not a clothes guy. Yeah. All right. Okay. You got anything else? No, I think that's pretty much. That's We're tapped out. We're it. juiced. All right. Uh, well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time. Thank you very much.